welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Excited to have another episode out. Uh, Seem to be in a little bit of a groove here. I don't want to jinx it, knock on wood, that uh, things are clicking, going well. It sounds like, it's my understanding, we've had a little bit of audio issues. Um, As to get one thing fixed, then there's another issue that pops up elsewhere. And I have to say, it's not really technology as much as it is operator error. I keep forgetting to unmute different tracks as I go to make this live. So if you run into something that sounds funky uh, or you're missing something, then if I'm aware of it, then I've re-uploaded the file. And, and sometimes if you guys have your your podcast apps automatically downloading things, you may be getting the first um, incorrect version of the file so if you just delete that and force the uh, force your app to download it again then it'll take care of that Um, hopefully we won't continue to propagate mistakes as we move forward here Um, updates that are going on here at red tool house i finally have some pig updates as things have just been kind of uh, laying fallow for a while so the sows were were ready to breed the sows and um we're getting the, I think the sows are at the proper weight they need to. I put them on a little bit of a diet because they're getting a little chunky this last year. And uh, this will probably be the last breeding cycle for these sows. But um, as it would be, the boars who have been ripping and raring to go for the last year, I'm finally ready to get them into the game and uh, looking to load them into the trailer like I normally do. And they will not have anything to do with getting in that trailer. I have not fed them for three days hoping that food would manage you know, would would lure them in there's food laying right in the trailer they can walk right up to but um one of the sows is in heat and they i think they can just smell it completely up the valley even though they're you know, about 300 yards away and all they want to do is just kind of love on one another and fight one another and do all that type of stuff they have no desire to come to get get in the trailer and i just can't convince them that if they if one of them would get in the trailer then I could take them to uh, paradise, per se. But uh, that's my issue right now. So today, actually, I'll try again. I'm hoping their stomachs will outweigh, outweigh um, all their other influences, and they'll and one of them will hop on the trailer. I'm trying to get... I've got two. One I've bred before. That's Mongo. And he's he's just a big boar. He, his confirmation is, is incredible. It just he's, he's noticeably larger than uh, the other boar that we have, Squealy Dan. And uh, he's a little bit more aggressive, and I say aggressive um, just with the other pigs. He, he's still a puppy dog around me, but I definitely give him a wide berth. He's, uh, he's a monster of an animal. Uh, but Squealy Dan is more chill, and while he's got a little bit smaller conformation, I, I'd, I'd like to still breed him just to see what kind of litters he throws. And this would be the test to say, okay, who, who are we going to keep? Right now, Mongo's my winner. But um, I haven't given Squealy Dan a chance, so I, I feel compelled to at least let him get a chance. But if he doesn't get in a trailer, then uh, he's going to miss that window and he's going to end up in the freezer. But that being said, uh, obviously I'll keep everyone posted as we see what unfolds there. And upcoming issues, upcoming topics, we've got some, got some things lined out. I'm trying to talk to different 
breed associations. I think I've found that interesting in talking to some. I've got some scheduled. Some have been kind of pushed back a little bit. But it's it's interesting to see the perspective of breed associations uh, when it comes to specific pig breeds. So if you are heavily involved in one of the associations or you know someone who is and want to throw out a line to me to say, hey, uh, you, know, you need to talk to so-and-so or, or I can represent this association, then please, by all means, let me know. We'll get something scheduled because I'd like to kind of take a deeper dive into some of these breeds, get into a little bit of the history of some of them as well as where they are today. Um, as always, uh, don't forget our Patreon if you would like to help support what we're doing here. Uh, man, I appreciate the uh, the efforts that people have put forward in in supporting us on Patreon, and, and I can't express enough how much it means to me that uh, that people do that. You know, they they part with their hard earned money, and and really appreciate that. So just here recently, we've added Glenn and Laura. So I, I thank both of you all for coming on board and supporting the podcast. And um, as, as we get more of this put together, there's, there's more ideas of thinking about. If you guys have ideas that are supporters and like to see, hey, we'd like to have this perk or this benefit, then by all means, let me know, and we'll see if we can fit that in. Uh, if you want to know more information about the Patreon, of course, you can see it in the show notes below. Again, don't forget our Facebook group and our website. All of that information is, is in the show description as well, or the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Well, um, today is um, today is a first. Today is the first time that we're doing an interview outside of North America. Today we're going all the way to New Zealand, and we're going to be talking with Michael Peach about his farm. And instead of introducing all the details, the name of his farm and everything, I'm just going to cut away to the interview because I absolutely slaughter the name of his farm. And uh, I, I dare not try it again because I will just continue to slaughter it. But without further ado, I'm going to jump into the interview, and you guys can get a taste of what's going on, what it's like to raise pastured pigs in New Zealand. And I will catch you guys on the tail end of the interview. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Troy. And today we have a very special podcast. We are going to a place where no podcast, no Pastured Pig Podcast has gone before. We are going all the way around the world to New Zealand. And we're talking with Michael Peach. He's in Canterbury, New Zealand. And I'm unfortunately, I'm going to slaughter the name of his farm, even though we've tried this multiple times with me. This is what happens when you talk to a redneck. So he is with PTT Farm. Is that is that the, the delay I'm supposed to put in it, Michael? Uh, it's, it's a little bit more like Payatiti. Payatiti. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So not the it's, long um, not the long e. That's right. You said the a. That's where I misunderstood you when we first talked. Yeah, All it's right. uh, the indigenous language uh, of New Zealand. Very good. Very good. Rayo Maori. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, just to bring everyone up to speed, this is the first time that I've ever done a podcast uh, with somebody from New Zealand or really anybody out of country other than some Canadians. So uh, I, I have to uh, appreciate Michael already for putting up with me because this is our second try. The first try we were doing voice over IP and that was a white hot mess. So uh, now we're using Zoom and it seems to be working out pretty good. So hopefully everyone can hear us as we go along. So um Michael, uh, with now that we don't have as much delay, when we tried this the first time, we had a little bit of latency there. It was a bit bit tough to overcome, but I still want to uh, kind of talk about um, your farm and let you just let you kind of run with it. So first of all, 
tell us about your farm, kind of the layout, uh, the, the nuts and bolts of, of how the farm's laid out, and then maybe um, a little bit about what got you into pastured pig farming. Yeah, sure. Um, so, well, you sort of run my farm with my parents' uh, land. It used to be one block until uh, about a year ago when we split it in half and I bought it, uh, bought half of it. So um, we sort of run it all together. Um, it's a 20-acre farm. It's just shaped like an L. So mum and dad live in the boot and it's the, the long part of the L is just a few paddocks all cut up. Um, I did a quick sort of Google and I think our land's most similar maybe to Nebraska sort of type country. So we're pretty flat um, right where we are, you know, an hour's drive and we end up in the Alps. But um, but we are, we're pretty flat. Um, and when dad when dad moved there you know 30 years ago he's there was uh, i think six trees on the property and so he's planted up uh quite a few uh forests and shelter belts and that sort of thing um but by and large we're just sort of established pasture um yeah that we run cattle and sheep uh we've got a handful of chickens like you do um and just recently um yeah, five free-range bugs. Excellent, excellent. All right, so, so uh, yeah, this is where this is where my ignorance um, and fascination kind of collide. So I know just about I know enough of New Zealand to be dangerous. So um, obviously, Lord of the Rings uh, introduced a lot <laughs> yes. of us Americans to uh, to the beautiful landscape of New Zealand, and uh, and then recently in the past year, uh, my wife Kelly she really likes to watch. Uh, YouTube channel about tiny homes and there's one uh, that's I think it's called living big in a tiny house and it's it's located or it's headquartered out of the the hostess headquartered out of New Zealand so he's all over the place and, and that's how I learned that you know there's two islands and there's these really cool names of different places and and everyone talks kind of funny so yeah it's really interesting yeah. <laughs> so so but what you're saying is where you are in new zealand that it uh, it's it's really really flat and not you know not these huge snow-capped peaks that we would see in lord of the rings yeah so um i don't know if you've ever tried to build a house on a hillside <laughs> well you're from west virginia so you probably have but um yeah. it's it's certainly more difficult than building on the flat so um by and large those wonderful snow-capped you know, Alps and um, dense bush. Um, there's not a whole lot of people live there. So um, we're in the boring part, the um, good farming country, I guess you could call it. Um, yeah. But the nifty thing about New Zealand is everything's so close. So I was saying, you know, an, an hour or two's drive and I'm in the middle of the Alps. And another hour after that, it's like I'm almost in island dense bush jungle you know like it, it's so varied so quickly so yeah um, that's always something to keep in mind yeah that's fantastic so so obviously and again i, I know most people listening know this but I, I just want to remind everyone so obviously southern hemisphere so you guys are all upside down right now no uh that it's it's winter time for you right now <laughs> in, in new zealand correct yes it's correct yeah, so, so what type of winter? So if this is August, then I would say August would be the equivalent of my February, I would guess. So you're probably in, in the deepest part of winter starting to, to come out of that. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, we've, for us, August is probably the coldest month. So we're, we're, the grass doesn't sort of start growing again till 
September sometime. Um, we've just come out of, I think, the wettest July on record. So where where I live, um, I'm just a little bit out of Christchurch. That's our, sort of our major city. Um, and I think they average about 60 mils. So that what's that, two and a half inches mm. of rain for July every year. And we've just had, I think, we've blown the 200. So I'm now going to try and work that out. What's that? Eight inches easily, um, just right out of the park in July. So wow. we're wet, wet, wet. Um, and fortunately, we don't get too cold. Um, I think probably some of our climate is similar to Oregon. Um, yeah. some of the, it, it's much more mild um, because we're so close to the coast, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that keeps you from having a, a real heavy freeze, even though your your latitude is is pretty high. So if it was uh, yeah. if it wasn't an island, then then you'd be dealing with uh, probably more of a uh, northern uh, America or even central Canada type climate. But because of the, uh, yeah. the sea, it, it really helps keep that more temperate. Like you said, like the Pacific Northwest that we'd be uh, familiar with. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any part of New Zealand that's more than about a hundred miles from the coast. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, this this is fascinating. Obviously, I, I consider and talk about New Zealand geography for a long time. Uh, that that fascinates me, but that's obviously not what the podcast is about. So, but no. uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the farm, and then for for people listening, so you guys can kind of follow the method to my madness here. Uh, when we we're doing pre-screening stuff, Michael was telling me some of the nuance associated with pastured pigs in New Zealand. So we're going to get into that. So so while we we do want to talk specifically about his farm. We do want to talk about uh, nationally what pastured pig farmers in New Zealand are dealing with. So, so we're going to get that from Michael's perspective and just some of the uniqueness that's different from what we experience here in America or in North America. So, so let's do this, Michael. So you've given us a little heads up. So we're talking about 20 acres that you share with your, your parents and that you yep. guys have uh, uh, your polyculture. So you've got cattle, you've got sheep, you've got uh, the, the chickens. Or do you guys call them chooks or is that just Australians that call them chooks? Uh, no, we call them chooks. Right, New good. Zealand um, grabs everyone's lingos. Yeah. Everyone's lingo, yeah. So we're like chooks, the chickens, the hens, the yeah, whatever you want, really. Love it. Love it. All right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to refrain from doing my Mick Dundee because, uh, again, being a child of the 80s, that's where I first you know, heard that Australian accent. So, and, and I know you're not Australian, so that's the other thing. Is how, uh, how, how offensive is it when uh, – do, do, is it offensive to be referred to as an Australian when you're, when you're a Kiwi? I think, I think the, um, the the best analogy is if you got a person from every country in the world and put them all in a bar fight, the New Zealand and Australians would, yeah, would be on the same side until right at the end when we'd turn on each other, <laughs> and so, so they're like, and like, I think yeah, I like so you know, I talk to foreigners and I think oh what an Australian accent and you know you just roll with it because right. you know. But you can't expect everyone to know the nuances. But um, if another New Zealander calls you an Aussie, um, oh, that's probably the worst thing they could call you. Right, right, I bet. Yeah, yeah. that's like us in Virginia. Yeah. Every, everyone, when, when we say we're from West Virginia, then they, they pick a, 
at Roanoke, which is a large town in Virginia, they say, oh, well, I've got an aunt or an uncle that lives in Roanoke. And it's like, yeah, that's great. It's a totally different state. It's, it's not even. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. West Virginia is its own state. So, yeah, I, I can feel your pain there. Yeah. But all right. Yeah. So, so I'll refrain from uh, any Australian comments or associations going forward here. So, yeah. man, this. I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I wasn't going to add anything of value. Yeah. All right. So, so that, well, that, that's what I'm doing right now. This podcast has digressed tr- tremendously. So, so let's get back on, on, on tap here. So a, a 10 acre or 20 acres that you share with your folks, uh, a polyculture. Mm-hmm. And I love this idea that, that you, your, your father came in and planted trees and, and, and recognizes the benefit of that, especially if, if the ground is as flat that you say. So you've got the, the windbreak, you've got shade and all those type of things. So, so tell me why why pigs? So did you, did you all, it sounds like you probably started with ruminants first. What, what got you into deciding, Hey, we're going to put pigs on here and we're actually going to range them. Yeah, sure. So, um, the thing is I've, I've grown up on this land uh, my whole life. I, I left a little bit for university and, um, my first job was up in the North Island of New Zealand. Uh, I've just come back uh, about a year ago now. Oh no, two years, been back two years. And, um, so growing up, you know, we had cattle and sheep um, running around and then you know, the chickens for the eggs and um, dad had a job in the city. So the the lifestyle blocks, that's what we would sort of call these little small farms, lifestyle blocks. They um they were sort of his, you know, his outlet a bit. And um, so yeah, cattle and the sheep running around and we got a pig that lived in the sty for a bit. Um, and the interesting thing, I don't know if this is something... Uh, that you're allowed to do in the States. I, it's certainly been banned since. Um, but he would put a bit of wire through the pig's nose, mm. uh, fold it over on itself and twist it, and it just stopped the pigs from rooting. And so, you know, the pigs would be in the sty for a bit and you'd let them out and they'd run in the paddocks like a cow. Um, so that was sort of my upbringing for many years. When I was about 13 or 14, I got a job at the uh, commercial pig farm um, down the road, I was water blasting. Um, so that was, you know, an afternoon or an afternoon a week or so, just out there water blasting and hanging out with pigs, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and then since, since around that time, we stopped having pigs of our own. We just buy a pig from this pig farmer. Um, yeah, so that was sort of for 10 years, you know, we haven't had pigs on the land. Hmm. Uh, but when I came back two years ago, um, I love pigs and oh, so much about them. And so I was quite keen to have them, you know, for my own children to experience and interact with and eat because that's probably the primary <laughs> point of a pig. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> they are quite yeah. tasty, yes. So, and like, I was quite fortunate in um, with my pigs. So, uh, in terms of feed, I know that there's lots and lots of discussions on you know, feed and what to feed them and how to feed them. Um, but I, I know someone who works at an apple juicing um, plant just down the road, and so I was able to source trailer loads of half rotten apples. Um, mm. And you know, you turn up and dump a trailer in the paddock and get the pigs at it, type thing. Uh, yeah. So it was quite, yeah, it was probably uh, something that I experienced that most other people wouldn't. Um, and 
and then the uh, pig farmer down the road, he was able to source me with um, feed when I needed it uh, as well. And yeah, then just the grass and the paddock. Very good, very for good. For a while around. Yeah, hmm. all right, so you said a couple of things there that, that uh, I want to circle back around on, and, and uh, it's interesting. So uh, the first thing that you said that in, in New Zealand it's uh, unlawful to, to ring a pig's nose, and, and that's what that's what yes. we we'll call it here, putting the rings in. And um, and I, I know that's not unlawful here yet, but uh, I, I agree with that. I, I, you know, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy that wants laws, but I agree with not doing that simply because it, it removes the pigness of a pig. But uh, but it is interesting. Yeah. I know that's you go back you know, two two three generations in our area, and that would be very common because uh, people just didn't want the ground torn up, and it's like, well, you know, mm. we're gonna we're gonna do this, and it's gonna save on on, on the ground. And uh, yeah, again, I, I believe a pig was created with a shovel in its face, and it's kind of a shame not to let it use its shovel. Uh, no matter yeah. how, how hard it is to uh, to clean up after sometimes, so um, so it sounds like you've got yeah you've had a background in, in pork you've you've been around them even worked uh, at uh, you know, some side jobs there or or, or main job as as uh, working at a commercial operation, so how did that did the transition just go that since you all had the land and you had the pasture that. Uh, that you're like, well, I'm I'm not putting this pig in a sty. We're not putting it on concrete. We're actually going to let it enjoy enjoy the pasture grass. What was that? Something you already were familiar with, or something you wanted to experiment? What was that? What was that? Yeah. switch that flipped there. So one of the things about the New Zealand farming industry that I think is quite different. Uh, this is certainly my impression, and there's some validity to it, but I'm not sure the extent. Um, is basically most animals apart from pigs and chickens so the, the cattle the sheep the deer um they are all pasture raised um you, it would be very rare to see you know a, a fattened cattle beast that has grown up like in the you know like that ended up in feedlot um under shelter um so i would say something like 95 percent of all um meat you know red meat um is what we call pastured. And so, you know, I've worked on a couple of different commercial pig farms and I worked for New Zealand's largest poultry producer uh, for a number of years as well. And so, you know, inside the barns, um, there's something I was familiar with, but um, sort of goes against what New Zealand's expectation of how an animal raised is meant to be. Um, so when you know, I want to get pigs of my own um, my first thought was well I want them outside because I know it's possible and I've listened to enough of your podcast to know, uh, you know the benefits in it and so for me that was quite natural so we went to put the ring in the nose uh, well, a bit of wire in the nose um, to let them run on the paddocks because yeah, like many people don't want the, the ground torn up um, and it was just a trade-off you know if I was a pig, would I rather run around outside and eat grass, but with a ring in my nose or, you know, in a concrete pen without? And for me, that's a simple decision. Yeah. And it was only after I put the ring in the nose, I found out I was liable for like a $10,000 fine. So <laughs> I had to go take the ring back. Out comes the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was like, ah, guts. Um, and so at that point, my parents were keen to lock them up in a sty. Um, they were like, well, going to have the pigs running around ripping up the ground, that's, you know, that's unacceptable. Um, but 
you know, we had a small paddock. Um, oh, now I've got to try and do the conversion. Maybe a quarter of an acre, half an acre type area uh, that we ran the pigs in. Um, and I was willing to sacrifice it um, more just to try it out and see, you know, what a truly sort of, well, not a truly free-range pig, but, you know, quite a free-range pig, um, what that would experience would be like. So, yeah, that's, that's how we sort of ended up there. My parents, yeah, once we took the ring out, they wanted to, yeah, like I say, put them in a sty, but I, um, no, I wanted to try this free-range thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting balance, and and I can I can appreciate that, especially with uh, obviously with the ruminants. So when you've got you got twenty acres, you've got good pasture for your ruminants. It's like, well, the last thing I want yeah. is a pig going through there and tearing all that up because that, that mm. obviously causes mm. complications elsewhere. But but I like the idea. I like that you you came to this conclusion. Okay, the sacrificial area. Uh, you know, we have the sacrificial area in the wintertime because nothing's growing. It gets snowy, icy, all those type of things. So it's best to have them tear up a small spot than a large spot. Uh, and then, of course, you rotate them more when, they're, when we're in the, the warmer months and, and we actually have uh, forage growing. But uh, hmm. so it's interesting. You'd, you'd mentioned that uh, with the planting of the trees that, that your, your, your father planted and, the, and, and kind of the trees around that area are more of, of conifers and gum. So they really don't produce a, um, a, a nut or any type of protein. What, what protein producing trees do you have in New Zealand? I mean, are there oaks and those type of things as options or hickories or what, what, what do you got over there? Yeah, so... We've got the native New Zealand bush, um, which has a, a wild pig population. Um, and that's, there's not really nut producers mm. producing trees there. There's a few sort of berries, but it's mostly just green foliage. Mm. Uh, and then most exotic um, trees. Because you've got to remember New Zealand's really only um, had you know, Western civilization here for about 150 years in any sort of shape or form. So most exotic trees that are planted these days, you know, they're not like you know, out in the fields and stuff. It is mostly radiata pine um, would be probably the most commonly planted tree. And that is um, pretty poor when it comes to feeding a pig. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless they like pine needles. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so there, there are blocks of land around with oaks on it, but they are, they are old oak trees and they're few and far between. And, um, you know, they're, they're around the old homesteads um, type thing. They're not, there's not many around, not at all like sort of the um, New England forest. We've got nothing, right. absolutely nothing to that effect. Gotcha. So let, let's talk a little bit about your your breed. So, w- with starting with these <laughs> these five pigs that you had, what um, what breed are we talking, and and where did you start, and kind of why did you go in that direction with that breed? Yeah, I um when I was trying to source some pigs, um, it was I I was able to jump on um, the local um, website Trade Me is what it's called. It's probably like your Craigslist type mm-hmm. thing, yeah. and um. Is there's a there's a handful of um, pigs, you know, wiener pigs up up for grabs, but nothing that was sort of I don't know. I, I guess maybe this is coming from a commercial pig farm. Um, it was always talking about you know, the quality of genetics is 
paramount to the performance of a pig. Um, so in the end, he, my old boss, he managed to source me a couple of pigs from um, uh, another farmer. He's my old boss. He's gone out of business. Um, he put me in touch with a, a friend of his. So I, I bought a couple of wiener pigs from him uh, in early September 2021. Um, and I say wiener pigs, but they were, what do you say? They were like nine, nine weeks old. Hmm. Yeah, nine weeks old. So they, they were pretty big girls uh, at that stage. He reckoned that was September that if I kept them in a pen and fed them as much food as possible, they'll be ready by Christmas. Right. Um, which I didn't have the heart to tell him I was going to put them out in the paddock. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, no, that's not how you raise the pigs. Right. But, um, yeah, so I, I got a couple couple from him, and I there was some delay in our communication. So I reached out to my stock agent and said, can you source me some pigs? And so within about 15 minutes of each other, I said yes to these two, and then, the stock agent called up and I didn't want to say no. So I ended up with three piglets um, just from the local uh, sale yards. Yeah. Um, and that those those three, they were little pikes. Um, yeah, sort of what I was expecting for a wiener pig. And yeah. all all five of those were like a commercial hybrid, you know, white commercial hybrid, um, not, not heritage breed type at all. So, so how did they do that first year? So that was you said that was la- about uh, about eleven months ago. So, so how did they do through yeah. your your warm season? Yeah, so they um, they did quite well. I um, the, the great planner that I am, I had boys and girls, so I had to try and keep them separate, which added complications. Um, but my my two my two good pigs, I'll call them, they grew fast. Um, you could almost see them grow after you know put a trailer load of apples in. They just sit there and eat. And they just yeah, you could see them grow, uh, which was great. Uh, and that they, I think I knocked them on the head uh, early February this year, and they were like a, like maybe two hundred pound, two hundred pound carcass weight. Mm, okay. Or maybe that's hanging. Like I don't know, something to that effect. We got we got like eighty odd kilos, so 100, 180, maybe one hundred and eighty pounds of meat off each of those two big pigs. Yeah, yeah. And okay. and that was beautiful. Um, that red. It was quite lean, quite lean meat. Yeah. Um, which I was, I was happy with that. Uh, and then the the, the three pigs. You know, I was not happy with their growth, and so I fed them more barley. Um, and near the end, I was basically just throwing feed at them because I wanted them to a sort of a certain size by the time um, autumn came along and it got cold. So when we when they got killed out, they were a bit smaller, maybe 50, uh, 100, 110 pounds of meat per pig. Mm. Uh, but that was really fatty. I was um, quite taken aback with, the amount of fat and just the comparison between a, you know, a pig of probably superior genetics eating uh, you know, much more pasture and apples compared to a slightly poorer pig of the same breed even fed more barley. Oh, you know, you've got like a, a half inch fat cap on, on the lean pigs and you know, a two inch 
on the um on the other one. So that was quite a, a comparison that I wasn't um, expecting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty um, that's a pretty obvious difference there. Like you said, with the same you know, kind of the same diet, same pasture, same access. Uh, so that definitely shows uh, the difference in the genetics there. So so you're looking at um, you're looking at uh, kind of scaling up this year. Uh, I assume you haven't done that yet, but you're you know, I think in your pre-screen you said considering adding ten pigs. Are you still looking at that uh, that same source where you had the the good produced, or are you are you looking at, at broader options there? I was um, sort of considering the ten pigs. Uh, I was going to run them under the trees that we have, just more from a shade perspective, um, and was putting together my figures around that, um, the budget and getting all properly lined up. And my wife said, uh, yeah, no, that's not happening, darling. Uh, <laughs> you're needed in the house with the children and out there running around after pigs for an hour a day is not acceptable. So I think we're just going to do three this year. Very good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can, yeah. I can, I can definitely understand that. Definitely, you know, kind of get your legs about you, get things taken care of, and and uh, keep the family happy, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Very good. Yeah. So, so you've you've interest, uh, you've said something interesting in the pre-screening. And this kind of maybe is a segue as to your source options when it comes to the genetics you're looking for. So, what type of yeah, how many pastured pig farmers? I don't know. You don't know this number, but are there a lot of pastured pig farmers in New Zealand? Is this is this something that's that's very common? Is pork really popular in New Zealand? How does all that lay out? Yeah, so I was. Um, New Zealand imports about sixty percent of our pork meat, um, and I think that largely comes from Canada and maybe some of the Asian countries. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we yeah we import sixty percent, and New Zealanders only on average eat about maybe nineteen kilos. Oh, what's that in pounds? Forty pounds, forty pounds of pork a year. So I sort of look at it and I go, we're not big pork eaters, uh, and, and when I say pork, you know, mostly people just try and eat the bacon, and right. that's about it. Um, and we import a lot. So in terms of local pig farmers um, there's not as many around as as you would hope there. so um, I was looking at our local county equivalent and there was only you know there's only one commercial pig farmer uh, in the county and we are in the South Island is you know the, the pig air, pig producing area of the country as well so it's quite limited um, you know there's lots of pe- there's lots of um Lots of people on like little homesteads, mm. um, or lifestyle blocks. I, I think I see. So, so do kind th- of get. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, you can you can kind of get. Um. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, my my internet connection hiccuped a little bit there, but um, yeah. So get the gist of that. It's it's tough to find um, a lot of producers in, in that area. Um, so I, I guess that that probably makes the next question kind of obvious. Then, so when it comes to looking at at heritage genetics, there's probably not a lot available in the area, even even in the entire country. But are there are there restrictions? I assume as far as even bringing in 
genetics? Is that something where you say, "Hey, I've got I got a couple gilts, and I'm going to order, I'm going to order uh, AI opportunities." Uh, and I don't, my goodness, how do you think what that would cost to have that internationally shipped? So, so what type of issues you run into there when you're, you're dealing with regulation of the government and, and heritage breeds? I'm not terribly familiar with that. Okay. Um, in, in accurate detail, um, New Zealand's got some pretty stringent um, rules around importing, um, um, like for, for biosecurity reasons. Um, we're we're uh, effectively a little island at the bottom of the world, and so we don't have a lot of disease problems, mm. um, and so they're quite keen to keep it that way. So unless you are um, probably the commercial guys, they've got their, their, their access routes to get some of that, that genetics in. But I, I wouldn't even try to bring in semen. Um, yeah, I'd... Oh, I'm getting a headache thinking about it. I think the rules and hoops you'd have to jump through, yeah. So, but like, I was looking, I had looked at Berkshire. Um, I thought, oh, that would be quite cool. Um, but I think there's only, yeah, and now I say it, I'll, I'll jump up and down and say that I got it wrong, but I think there's only about a dozen Berkshire breeders in the country in terms of what the Berkshire New Zealand page was saying. Mm. Um, yeah, and so, yeah. It, it wasn't something I went for this time. You know, I had effectively easy access to commercial hybrids. So that's the route I took. And I probably will continue to take um, unless convinced otherwise, to be honest. Yeah. Now, you'd, you'd mentioned something about a, a, a wild boar or a wild pig uh, uh, native in, in New Zealand. I don't know. Is that originally native? Did we, uh, did we uh, Europeans bring that over? And is that something that anybody uses? Do they try to hybrid with that? Are those a nuisance animal? How, how do those fit into the, the environment there? Yeah, sure. So they were brought in by Captain James Cook, oh, who was one of the early um, the early explorers in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are wild pigs. they sort of up in the hills and in the bush. And they sort of only really cause a problem for the farmers that, you know, that, that border them. Um, and you know, wild pig hunting is a, a pastime of, you know, um, you know, you often find them in young rural areas. Uh, in rural areas, you know, the young, the young guys, you know, they head out pig hunting this weekend. You know, and they've got their dogs and they're out finding pigs. But they're not a, they're not a real, um, real issue to you know, anyone's day-to-day life, except the, you know, a handful of, of a few hundred farmers, probably. Um, and you wouldn't want you wouldn't want to include them in your genetics by any means. Um, a friend of my sister's caught a little wild piglet and had nowhere to put it. Once it grew a little, so it ended up with my five. And uh, you know, it started off about the size of a, a small dog. And after two months of feeding it unlimited barley a day, it ended up the size of a small dog and, <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> and um, so at one point when we were getting our pigs butchered I just um, I said to the man just just want to make this one disappear as well that'd be great because um, there's no there's no benefit in it for me yeah. um, at that point yeah yeah he, he's not earning his keep at all it sounds like <laughs> yeah yeah oh that's interesting um, 
Well, well Mike, Michael, you'd, you'd made a comment or you'd mentioned something about um, uh, a, a circumstance that's, that's, that you're dealing with in New Zealand. It's, it's you know, between the zoning rules, environmental concerns that are pretty tight, and then this uh, duopoly that you talked about. You, you mind sharing that with us a little bit, what, what, you, what you see from your experience there in New Zealand? Yeah. So the, the, the environment, like if you wanted to try and scale from, you know, uh, like, like say, say I want to go from you know, my five pigs a year to 500 or 5,000, um, you know, free range pigs and make it a, um, you know, in, in some ways this would be my goal, but to you know, make free range pork uh, New Zealand's number one pick for meat. Um, to, to do that would be quite a challenge. And I think more of a challenge in New Zealand than other places around the world and perhaps the US. And that is... Um, the, yeah, there's really there's a duopoly at the retail end. Mm. Uh, we just have two major supermarket brands, and uh, there's been a big inqu- uh, government inquiry into them due to the fact that, and the government's kind of had to admit it that the New Zealand consumer is getting ripped off by them. Um, the supermarkets are able to sort of set the price to suppliers, and there's not there's not as much negotiation available as what would be healthy. And so that sort of puts you on the back foot in terms of you're trying to charge a, a premium mm. price for your premium product, so to speak, because um, they've got purchasing power and you don't have yeah, much to negotiate with. So that's, that's one challenge. And then New Zealand, um, New Zealanders by and large, you know, believe in, you know, we've got this clean, this clean green image to protect um, and the level of legislation and compliance costs around um, the environmental impact of a farm has risen and risen and has continued to rise at quite a rate around what you can do and how you can do and when you can do certain things on your land. So I was, I was looking at up this morning just to try and get some more specifics, but for, for my region, which would be similar across all of New Zealand, um, any sort of pig farming is sort of classified as intensive farming. And you could debate, and there's probably room to debate with the authorities that free-range pig farming doesn't count as intensive. But the moment that gets classified as intensive, which pork is just always, pork and poultry, that's intensive. Mm. You've got to jump through all sorts of rules to be allowed to farm it. So even on you know designated farming land, that's, you've still got to prove um, beyond you know some level of doubt you know that that you should be allowed to farm that, mm-hmm. um, and all it takes, and you know, you know you're you're in a real tight spot, um, and just just to say that you know my neighbour growing up wanted to raise pigs and my parents said no we don't want the smell and you know just like that yeah wow pork farming a pig farming big in new zealand you've got you've got that hurdle on top of you know even if you can produce the pigs 
Now, even if you could sell them at, at a, you know, a reasonable rate to these supermarkets, you'd be struggling to even be able to find some land in which to raise that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So um, so what's that look like scalability? Is that for, for where you are, do you just stay with raising enough for your own personal consumption? Um, do you have a, a, a small level commercial where you can raise some for other people and sell holes and halves or cuts? How, how does New Zealand handle that option? Yeah, and that's, that's, the, that's almost a kick in the scalability. Um, we have... You know, that's going to start to sound like a broken record. We have some really tight legislation and rules <laughs> around, um, you know, like selling animals, uh, well, live animals, but, you know, an animal for slaughter. So there's something called like the home kill scheme, you know, where you can have, um, yeah, you can kill an animal yourself, that's not a problem, but it's not allowed to be fed to people outside of your home. Mm. Um, which, you know, sure, why not? That sounds like a, an okay rule. Um, and then you can get you know, mobile, um, mobile uh, you know, guys come around in their little truck and they'll kill the animal for you, gut it, skin it, take it off to the local butcher. Um, and that's called home kill. And that, it's also, um, you know, while it gets processed by butcher, it's not allowed to get fed to people um, outside your home. It's not allowed to be sold retail, you know, to retail. You can't even, you know, a cashy, um, you know, you know um, by the book, you know, that's, that's illegal. And so the only way to be able to sell, like, you can't even do holes and halves. Um, the only way to sort of get around that is you've got to um, go to, you know, the approved abattoirs. And I think in my whole region, and, you know, we, we're probably the, the largest agricultural area in the country, my whole province, it's, I looked it up and I think there's three, yeah, there's three places, you know, you should take it and what, you know, it gets uh, the effective of the USDA inspectors you know, there. Um, and so once you start trucking you know, pigs for four or five hours, um, I've fortunately got one that's not too far, it's only about an hour and a half away. But once you start doing that, um, probably start to lose what makes a free-range pig a free-range pig um, in terms of a calm environment, you know, when it finally gets shot. Um, yeah. Yeah. And well, I've got a, my local butcher. Um, he was it's very kind. He you know, was able to give me the contact details of these guys and talk me through what that process was going to look like. Um and so when I was looking to do maybe 10 pigs this year, I was able to you know, plan and budget that in. But it's not, it's not something that, that like, like many people have found, when you try to sort of scale it up, it's not something that is easy and the system's not there to make it work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds like there's, there's quite a few hurdles there that, uh, that would, would keep that from being as... as um as financially sound as, as it, as it needs to be to justify all the work that goes into it. So that definitely is kind of a, uh, a pretty good roadblock there. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, so like I've heard of, um, there is a, there's someone, I think he's from the States or his parents are from the States. Um, maybe a couple, maybe an hour and a half away from me, his parents had planted out some acorn and hazelnut and some other sort of nut trees 
know, 30 years ago. And so he's he's running purely free-range pigs now um, on, you know, and they, they eat those nuts as, as part of their diet. So that's, that's one person who sort of managed to make it. Um, my understanding is he probably wouldn't do more than a couple of hundred or maybe a hundred pigs a year. Um, and I've heard of one large free-range um, pig farmer, um, but I, I wasn't sort of able to verify that. So there's not there's not really a, a proper free-range um, pork available on the New Zealand market. Hmm. It sounds like there's probably a decent amount of education that has to take place too with a consumer to understand um, you know, the benefits of free range and, and why, uh, you know, why that would cost more exponentially compared to what the supermarkets are producing. So that sounds like that would be a mm. pretty good obstacle as well. Yeah. All right. Well, so, um, and, and I want to be uh, sensitive to your time. Um, it's tomorrow actually, uh, it's my understanding if I understand time zones, right? So it's tomorrow. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm talking to you. You can kind of tell me if it's worth me getting up in the morning or if tomorrow's going to be a good day or not. So, Today's a lovely day. <laughs> Very good. All right. So something to look forward to. So, um, yeah. so Michael, let me, let me ask you this. So you, you mentioned that um, you were thinking about going to 10 pigs, but you, right now uh, the family's kind of pumped the brakes. Let's maybe do three next. Where do you see this in you know, three, four, five years? Yeah, how, how much uh, pastured pigs or free-range pigs uh, play a part in your farm? I think... There's an argument to say that they, they'll always be there. Um, the quality of the product that they produce is just superior to anything that you can find elsewhere. Um, so there's always that, I guess, the inherent want to have a, a pig there. Um, I, so I, um, I work in the accounting field, um, mostly because I'd like to be a farmer, but it costs too much to buy a farm here. Right. So looking long term, you know, in 10 years' time, if we were able to secure maybe another little bit of land, a bit bigger, maybe 50 acres or so, um, I would, I would, I would like to give raising free-range pigs a go. You know, try and make something of it. Um, but, you know, there's certainly people out there who like it. You know, you know, friends who I, you know, I did give you know a packet of bacon to. You know, they're saying this is this right. is really good stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so. So part of me goes, you know, I'd, I'd really like to try and make a go of this. You know, I, I think I said earlier, you know, I want to make, well, I'd really like to, you know, see free-range pork being the number one pick for the New Zealand consumer. Um, but in all reality, I think that we'll probably sit it around, you know, three, three, three pigs a year and maybe maybe when my children are a little bit older, we'll you know, get a guilt, you know. Yeah. Um, have have a few more, you know, just just while they're at that age to really appreciate piglets and, and experiencing that. But, yeah. Very good. Um, reality, yeah. <laughs> reality gets in the way of dreams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and there's yeah, there's prudence and wisdom in, in recognizing that maybe now's not the time to jump headfirst into something and and build into that when that time comes and it could be a different season yeah. of life. So yeah, I think that's wise to look at that and say, well, let's let's get this out of the way first, or let's. Let's you know get the kids a little older, whatever the case may be, before you you make that big move. Yeah. So I, I've, obviously I have to close out with asking the question. I ask everyone. So, 
in New Zealand where everything's upside down, what is your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? I, one of the things that I've got an immense joy from uh, is watching my two-year-old daughter, um, you know, every time she walks past the pigs or um, stands at the window, and she's pointing and she's going, hey, steady pigs. And like, kids love them. Kids just love pigs. And I mean, pigs, I mean, kids just love everything, to be honest, in all fairness. But um, watching, watching the children just be enamored by the pigs and then getting to provide pigs um, a life that, comparative to many of their, you know, colleagues um it's a good life you know eating grass and sitting in the shade and just being a pig um that's what i enjoy i enjoy getting to be part of that cool journey yeah i mean there's elements of it you know or we talk about you know these pigs only have one bad day and i i like to think that that's true um yeah very good very good. Well, man, that's great. That's that's great. So, um, do you have uh, do you have any any web presence? If anybody want to find out more about you, or is that something that's yet to come? Uh, no, no, we're um, we're probably a little too small scale for that at okay. this point in time. Yeah. Well, very good. Very good. Well, I I really appreciate you you coming on the uh, podcast, and I appreciate you you being patient with me as we figured out the technical issues of communicating halfway around the world. And and man, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, no, my pleasure. All right. Well, I pray you have a good week. Take care. Well, I really appreciate Michael coming on the podcast. I think for um, for using technology from the bowels of the Appalachian Mountains to reach all the way to New Zealand, the quality wasn't too bad there. There was a couple little hiccups and some issues, but I think uh, all in all, I hope that was still entertaining for you all. Really neat to kind of get a different perspective and see what's going on in, in other countries when it comes to pasturing hogs. Well, again, if you have a topic or a subject or you'd like to be on the podcast, by all means, reach out to me. Let me know. You can just email me, Troy, at redtoolhouse.com. You can use the form at thepasturedpig.com and uh, put your information in that way. There's there's quite a few ways you can get a hold of me there, actually. So feel free to do so. Let me know. Again, appreciate all the Patreon support. Those of you guys that, that are doing that, I, I just can't thank you enough. That really helps, A, keep me motivated, and, of course, helps cover the cost. We're actually making a larger investment. Cam and I, my son, he, he uses a computer as well. We're actually upgrading our computer so we can do a little bit more. We're running against um, uh, some issues with our old Mac. It's, uh, goodness, it's almost nine years old. So we've just upgraded that. So anxious to get that in. And, and your all's Patreon support allows those type of things to happen. So we appreciate it. Well, I pray everyone have a great week. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.